Well, good morning. How are we doing, 11 a.m.? All right. Sounds like 11 a.m. All right. Well, welcome to church. My name is Atticus. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I'm not Atticus. My name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I say that because if you were here uh, last week, Pastor Gary talked about how my my dad actually uh, wanted to call me Atticus. My dad's here this morning. Um, Based off his favorite character in his favorite novel, which is To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, Atticus Finch uh, was that character. And yet um, they decided to name me Gregory after Gregory Peck, who played Atticus in To Kill a Mockingbird, and so that's how I got my name, and uh, Pastor Gary is making a point that a lot of times in the old days, a name had everything to do with the character of that person, right? So we look at the Bible, and every time God is, is given a name or a title, it's because of who he is. It's describing an attribute of our God. And so you look at the Bible, and there's names of God that we, we see. We see that God is named El Shaddai. The Lord Almighty, he is Adonai, our master. He is Jehovah Jireh, God my provider. He is Jehovah Rapha, God my healer. He is Yahweh Sabaoth, he is the Lord of hosts, of angel armies. And then there's the name of God, El Kanah. Anybody know what El Kanah is? The Lord is jealous. Ooh, that's, that, that's not a name we want to call God, is it? Well, that's the name he calls himself. Look at Exodus chapter 34, verse 13 and 14. God says, you shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their asherim. All these are forms of idol worship. He says, for you shall worship no other God for the Lord whose name is Kana. Jealous. His name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Man, that, that's not a name we like to preach often or proclaim often because uh, that's just a negative thing in our minds, right? Jealousy is that thing that makes people do crazy things. Like this, this past week, I just read the story where this, this girl, this ex-girlfriend was hassling her ex-boyfriend for four months straight, trying to get him back together with her. And he says, no, I can't. I have a new girlfriend now. And so she's, she's giving him a hard time. Finally, he calls a meeting. The three of them, they're in Ningbo, China. This is by a river. And he calls a, a meeting together with them to talk it out. And, and these two girls start going at it. They're just so heated. And the argument uh, ensues. And, and the ex-girlfriend is so jealous. You know what she does? She throws herself into the moving river to see if he would jump in and save her out of his love for her. Crazy, right? Gets crazier. The, the current girlfriend, jealous that he might actually jump in and save her, you know what she does? She throws herself into the river to keep her, keep him from saving her before her. And so they're both in the water. Guess what the boyfriend does? I'll tell you at the end of the message, all right? <laughs> now, now he, he jumps in and he saves his current girlfriend. And he leaves it to the fire brigade to go and rescue his ex-girlfriend. But that's crazy, and that's what I'm talking about. Jealousy makes us do crazy things. So how in the world can we call God a jealous God? We don't want to give him that label or that title. And yet, I want to show you today that the jealousy of God is not something that 
that should repel us. It's not a bad thing. It's not even just a tolerable thing. But the jealousy of God is something that we should love and fall in love with. So we're in this series called Simply God. This is the last message where we're talking about the characteristics and attributes of God. I want to show you the jealousy of God. So will you guys pray with me and let's ask the Lord to lead us into his truth. So God, we pray that, that you would continue to show us more of you. Thank you, Lord, in this series. In the past few weeks, have you, you have showed us that you are a compassionate God. You are a righteous God. You are a just God. You are a good God. You are a real God. You are our strong tower. And today, God, I pray that you would show us what it means that you are jealous. And I pray that we would see it for what it is and we would fall in love with you. By the end of this time, I pray that we would all be that much closer to you. Because you are drawing us in with the truth of who you are. God, I thank you for all our friends and visitors who are here for the first time. Maybe this is their first time in the church. I pray that you would reveal yourself to them as well, Lord. So, Lord, we want to give you our hearts. We want to give you our minds. Would you teach us in this time? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It just, it feels like, ugh, like jealousy. Well, jealousy is such a bad thing. And it's probably because we, we see that the Bible explicitly calls jealousy a sin. Right? Like, for example, James chapter 3, verse 14 through 16 tells us this about jealousy. It says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. And, and that's what we think about when we think about jealousy is it's always sinful. It never leads to anything good. So how can we say God is jealous? Because if you look at the entire council of scripture and you go through it all, you'll actually find that there is two types of jealousy. There is a sinful jealousy, like James points out, and then there is a sanctified jealousy. There is an evil jealousy, and then there is a godly jealousy. And when you look at the examples of godly jealousy, what it comes down to is basically this. It's basically wanting something that has been misplaced and desiring that, that thing to be back with its rightful owner. You want, you want so bad for that thing to be where it rightfully belongs. For example, um, I was on a date night with my wife, Monica. We were at a restaurant right here in Torrance. And uh, we, we went to this restaurant, we're waiting to be seated by the hostess. And as we're waiting there for our seats, I look and I see my pastor friend. Apparently, he's on his date night too. And they're sitting at the bar, and I had to do like a double take because I, I, I'm pretty sure that's my pastor friend. And I'm pretty sure that's not his wife. And so I'm seeing this, and I'm like, this is not cool, and there's this thing going on inside of me. I'm like, like all these emotions and all these thoughts. I'm like, what is he doing with this woman who is not his wife? And so what do I do? I decide to text him, text him to see what he says. And so I text him. He, he didn't know I was there. I says, hey, bro, so are, are you out on date night with your wife? And he doesn't respond. Moments go by, and then finally I get a text 
And my friend goes, no. And he says, we're just at home. I'm like, what? Well, it turns out he has a twin brother that I didn't know existed. Like, oh, God, thank God, right? That was his twin. I didn't know that. Man, he almost, this, this guy almost got sucker punched by a random pastor. How do you like that? <laughs> but before I, I realized that that wasn't my friend, but his twin brother, there was something going inside of me that, that felt that this is wrong. And Paul would call that a godly jealousy. He would call that a godly jealousy. See, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2 and 3. Paul says this about the Corinthians. He says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And so what he's saying is, Corinthians, you Christians, you, you are joined with Christ. You're supposed to be devoted to him, and now you're off and you're flirting with these smooth-talking false teachers. And so in him was this godly justice, that is not, not right, you belong to Jesus. He wanted something that was misplaced back with its rightful owner or in its rightful place. And so godly jealousy is desiring for someone to have what is rightfully his or to have what is rightfully hers. And we look in the Bible and there's at least two things that God is jealous for. Two things that rightfully belong to him and that is his glory and his people. So I want to show you those two things. So first of all, let's talk about how God is jealous for his glory. God is jealous for his glory. If you look it up in the uh, Holman Bible Dictionary, they define jealousy as an intolerance for rivals. Having an intolerance for your rivals. Like you're not going to tolerate the rivals in your life. And so if God is a jealous God, does God really have any rivals? The, the truth is, yeah, he actually does. The earthly idols that battle for the hearts and the praise of man. Right, it's these, these false gods that, that war for glory, that try to rob God of glory that rightfully actually belongs to him. And so you look in Old Testament, for example, Isaiah 42, verse 8, and there's many scriptures like this. But Isaiah 42, verse 8 is one instance of his godly jealousy. He says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. In other words, I am not going to tolerate these false gods. I'm not going to tolerate it. And so when you look at the Bible and you look at the Old Testament, what was the ongoing struggle? What was the ongoing thing that kept Israel from God? It was their sin. But what was that sin? Ultimately, it's idolatry. They kept struggling with idolatry. Then you get to the New Testament, and every time it addresses this thing that keeps man between God, it's always sin. And at the core of every sin, you trace it back and you get to its core, it's idolatry. Right? What is idolatry? It's when something or someone sits on the throne of our hearts other than God. And that something or someone is trying to receive glory and attention, but that thing is not God. That's idolatry, right? So when in our lives, sex is glorified, or when food is glorified, or when travel is glorified, 
or when gadgets and leisure and success is glorified and it's receiving all of our attention and our priority and our time and our devotion, when that should be going to God, that stuff becomes a God or an idol in our life. And so idolatry is when there are things rivaling for our hearts. And God is jealous for glory that should be his. And I say that, and I know uh, that that's unsettling for us, right? It just makes God seem so petty or insecure that he should be jealous. But I want to say, like, think about this. Think about how Israel treated God. And God made himself so glorious to them throughout their history. Like he, he, was, he was their defender and their, their, their protector when he split the Red Sea and allowed them to cross the sea to flee from the Egyptian army pursuing them. He was their deliverer when he rescued them from, from bitter bondage. He was the one who guided them and he provided for them when he gave them bread from heaven. And he gave them water from a rock to keep them from going hungry and thirsty. God was so good and glorious to them. And here's this God just loving on them, loving on them. And who do they give glory to? They give glory to a cow. Like a, a cow, a, an inanimate, motionless cow. Ah, oh, like if you were God, like what, what, do you, what do you make of that, right? And so all of a sudden, the Old Testament starts making sense and the, the the Ten Commandments, when God wants to start laying down the law, it just makes sense to us now. Like the Ten Commandments isn't just a bunch of do's and don'ts because God wants to be legalistic. No, you look at the heart of it and it's the jealousy of God for his glory. So look at the first commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. And he says, you shall have no other gods before me. And if that's not clear enough, here's... Commandment number two, verse four and five. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth below or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Why? For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And so the, these Ten Commandments he's laying down is, is, is God saying, look, I am not one of many gods. I am not a competitor of other gods. I am not a God carved and created by the hands of man. I am Yahweh. I am the one true God. And he deserves his glory. And some of us, that's still uncomfortable. It's like, why does he have to demand so much glory? Why does he seem so insecure? And I want to say, if that is the, the unsettling thought that you have right now, then, then I, I pray that we would let it settle deep to the core of our soul, this, this truth. Get it out of our minds that God is not you. And you are not God. God is God. God is God. Because what we're doing is when we're not cool with this, it's kind of like... Oh, if I can't demand my own glory, why should God demand his own glory? That's not right. And what we're doing in that is we're bringing God down to our level as if he were man like us. And we're trying to make God like us. If I can't do it, you can't do it. But I want to remind you, God is not us. God is God. 
God is on a completely different level from us where he actually deserves it. Professor Eric Tonnes from Biola, I like how he puts it. He says it's kind of ironic that, you know, we come to church and we have no problem worshiping this God and we'll sing songs like we just did this morning. Holy, holy, holy. We'll sing songs like, how great is our God. He's the name above all names. He's the king of all kings. And we give him praise and glory. But then it's like we want God to be in heaven. And we expect him to be like, ah, shucks. Come on, guys. Don't, don't sing so loud. People can hear you. Like, stop saying that stuff about me. And, and deep in our hearts, that's really what we're hoping God is like. But no, no, no. God is in heaven. And as we give him praise and glory, he's like, amen. Amen. Yes, it's true. And why is that not okay with us? When it's true. Like, listen, we, we get it. We, we know when someone deserves glory, we give them glory. Okay, imagine 2010. You, you're, you're a Lakers fan. Let's say you are a hardcore, diehard Lakers fan. And you're there at the 2010 NBA Finals. This is huge, right? Because the Lakers are going up against their greatest rivals of all time, the Boston Celtics. And if you remember that series, it got to game seven. Meaning it was split three to three. Boston had three wins. Lakers had three wins. So this one game was going to decide who was the champion of the world. And, and Kobe Bryant was about to lead his team to the fifth NBA title under his belt, under his leadership. Right? And, and if you're watching that game, it got down to the last 10 seconds. And it was a matter of two points to decide who was the victorious champion of the world. And let's say you're, you're such a Lakers fan, you shelled out the cash to, to, to be there in, in that crowd. In fact, you're row five, and, and you're watching this, and as the time runs down, and as the buzzer goes off, Kobe Bryant leads them to their second consecutive victory, their second title in a row, and the crowd, all of Los Angeles, and in the entire Staples Center goes crazy. Shouts you've never heard, a celebration you've never been part of like this, and start there's this confetti and string falling from the ceiling. Everybody's going crazy. And the moment Kobe Bryant runs and he jumps up on the score table, he throws out his hands. And if you are a Lakers fan and he's representing you and you're there in the fifth row, I guarantee you this is not what you're doing. As Kobe has his hands extended, you're not sitting there. Kobe, sit down. You're so petty and insecure. Wanting glory for it. Sit down. No! You look at everybody in that picture. Look at their face. Look at their hands. Everybody's saying, Kobe, Kobe, MVP, MVP. You're giving glory where you believe glory is due. You're not having a hard time with this. And so if we believe that Kobe deserves glory for being Kobe. Does God not deserve glory for being God? Amen? Does God not deserve glory for being God? But you're thinking, ah, oh, Craig, that's not a fair comparison. Kobe carried the Lakers to the NBA Finals. 
He's amazing. Ah, you're right. You're right. No, God carries the weight of the world. He carried his son who carried the cross for your shame. Who carried the cross for my, for my guilt and he carries us into eternity. Does God not deserve his glory? No, Greg, that's not fair. Kobe's amazing. He's so good at putting this ball through this little metal ring. Like he's so awesome. You're right, you're right, you're right. Now listen, God holds this ball called earth that he created. And he puts it in the middle of this thing called the universe that he created. And he spins it at just the perfect speed, 1,040 miles per hour just to keep us alive. And he has the sun that he creates to shine his light upon it, to give life to everything on this ball called earth. Does God not deserve his glory? God deserves his glory. And so we, we can so easily attribute glory to the things of this earth that we think deserves glory when God actually absolutely deserves his glory. God is God. And so we have to understand that when he is jealous for his glory, it is only right that we acknowledge him for who he is. And that leads us to the second thing God is jealous about. He is jealous not only for his glory, but he is also jealous for his people. God is jealous for his people. And these two things, being jealous for his glory and Jealous for his people actually aren't separate things. They're actually very connected. Let me show you how. Because God knows that he is not the only benefactor when God is glorified. He's not the only one who benefits from receiving glory. He knows that when he is most glorified, that's actually in our best interest. He's thinking about you. Right? Because he knows that this happens in intimate relationships. Because God wants to satisfy us to the core. He wants to satisfy us to the core. So he wants to comfort us in our pain. He wants to love you in your loneliness. He wants to bless you in your pursuits. He wants to show you favor from day to day. He wants to heal you in your brokenness. He wants to meet you in your mess. And when we see God in all those areas of our lives, and we can't help but to thank him and praise him and give him glory. Right, because we were so satisfied with this God who is our all in all. When that results in us giving praise and glory, he is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That's how John Piper sums it up. He is most glorified in us only when we are most satisfied in him. And that's what God wants to do. Out of his burning affection and love for you, he wants to satisfy you to the core. And so God's jealousy really boils down to this. It's about his relationship with you. He wants to have intimate relationship with you. That's only where his glory is going to be most full. And so we look in the Bible, and the Bible gives us an analogy to help us understand what kind of relationship we have with God. And, and it gives us it in human terms, the most intimate, the, the closest relationship we can understand as humans Marriage. And so the Bible says it's kind of like this. It's like a marriage where there is faithfulness and fidelity and priority, exclusivity. And so, yeah, you look at Israel, and what does the Bible call Israel? They, they, Israel is called the wife of God. 
the spouse of God. You look at the New Testament, who's the church? We are the bride of Christ. And so it's saying it's like a marriage. And so when we get to Ezekiel and Hosea, these prophets give us an idea of what it feels like to God when, when his, his people engage in idolatry. It's like the pain of a cheating spouse. And so what it's saying is that when Israel engages in idolatry, they're committing adultery. That's what it feels like to a God who's burning with affection and love for for, for his people. And so when God is jealous for you, you have to understand that God is not open to having an open relationship. Like, he's looking for an exclusive. He doesn't want to share you with other gods. He's looking for an exclusive love, commitment, one met by faithfulness. Now, let's go back to that restaurant, okay? Let's say you were at that restaurant. You're waiting for a table, and you look at the bar, and you see a pastor friend, and that's Pastor Greg. Let's say you see me at that bar, and you're pretty sure that's not Monica, that he's with. And he's got his, you, I, I got my hair all done up. I got a nice fancy suit on. We got our cocktails and, and we're giggling and we're laughing and we're being flirtatious. And you're thinking, that is not cool. And you, you have like this thing going on inside of you, this godly jealousy. And you're like, that's not right. That's not right. And so what do you do? You decide to text me. And, and, and so you text me, you say, hey, so, uh, so, so Greg, are you out on date night with your wife? And I text you right back. And I go, nah, she, she's at home with the kids. I'm on a hot date with Ginger. <laughs> are you not appalled? Like, are you not disgusted with me at that moment? What are you doing? What are you doing? Why aren't you with your wife? And I reply back, oh, we had, we had date night last night. I'm just exploring some new loves. <laughs> like you would be so, that's godly jealousy. That's godly jealousy. And you're like, this is not cool. So what do you do? You snap a picture of it and you send it to Monica. And, and you, go, you go, Monica, uh, look what I just saw. And let's say she replies back to you. And she goes, LOL, they look so cute, tell them I say hi. (laughs) You'd be like, you'd reply right back, WTH, right? Because you're Christians, right? WTH, like, what's wrong with this? You're like, you're realizing this is not the right picture going on. And, And so, to be honest, if that's how Monica responded, haha, send her my love, to be honest, that would actually offend me. That, that would hurt me because that would tell me and that would confirm that love has gone extinct. That our marriage is, is broken. And yet, let's say she doesn't respond like that. She says right back. She texts you right back. What? What is he doing? Hold on. I'm going to be right there. I'm going to say. And, and she shows this godly jealousy. I love how Tim Keller defines godly jealousy. He says it's love fighting extinction. It's love fighting extinction. Love, this angry love that gets angry at the loss of love, but but it's angry love that stays love. And it's going to fight for that love back. And let's say Monica's like, no, what's going on? There's this godly jealousy. Then that would tell me she actually still loves me. 
she still cares, and she's going to fight for this love. She's not open to us dating around. She, she, she insists that it's, that it's exclusive and faithful. And at that point, none of you would get that text and say, I'll stop being so petty. Stop being so jealous. You're so insecure and possessive. No, what would you say? You'd be like, you go, girl. Right? Like, you get your man. Like, you, you would cheer her on because that's Right? He belongs to you and you alone. You should be jealous with a godly jealousy for your husband. And so why in the world should we be upset at God who says, I'm jealous for my people, for my bride. When they're giving their hearts to other idols and gods, I'm jealous for them. We should love that about God. That he is so madly in love with you. The jealousy of God should not repel us away from us, from him. It should actually draw us in. And that should deeply move us. And that should move us toward him. Because he is a God who loves us like no other. It should move us toward him. So how? How should it move us? Let me leave you with this takeaway. Here's the takeaway truth, the tat. Uh, I hope we can ink this on our heart. But this is the application. Daily renew your vows. Daily renew your vows. Why do I put it like that? Well, if our relationship with God is like a marriage that's supposed to be faithful and committed, let's not wait 10 years to renew our vows. I want to challenge you daily, renew your vow and tell the Lord daily how much you love him. Why do I say that? Because I promise you, church, I promise you every single day there will be someone or something Battling for your heart every single day. And so daily renew your vow to your first love. Joshua, he, he was the great commander of the Israelites. Right, right, right after Moses passed away, Joshua was in charge. And he was the one who actually led them into the promised land. But Joshua is no fool. He knows what these Israelites have seen and what they've been exposed to. He knows that back with their ancestors, that they lived beyond the Euphrates River, and, and those people had all kinds of gods that were being worshipped. And, and when God brought them from there into Egypt, oh, man, the Egyptians had a buffet of gods, an Egyptian god for everything. In that culture, that there was gods everywhere, but that when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt and brought them to the place where they currently were in the book of Joshua, in the land of the Amorites, the Amorites had their gods. And so Joshua knows that anywhere you go in the world, we're all wired to worship. We're all like wired. We all know innately that there's someone or something greater than us that, that, that ought to be worshipped. And so he knows there's choices. And so what does he do? He gathers the nation. And, he, and he, I love it. It's like a brave heart moment where he stands before all the people and he gives them this charge. And here's what he says. So in Joshua chapter 24, verse 14 to 15, he says, listen, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him. In sincerity and in faithfulness, put away the gods that your father served beyond the river Euphrates. Put away those gods and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And yet if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then listen, choose this day whom you will serve. 
whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river Euphrates or, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He's making a commitment today. Listen, he is... He has served the Lord all his life, but I'm telling you, I'm renewing that vow today. I'm renewing this covenant. Today, I choose the Lord. I choose the Lord. And, and this is crazy because the Israelites have seen how good and glorious he is. Like I said earlier, he's been their, their director in the desert. He's been the protector from battle to battle. He's been their guide and provider in, in all these things. And yet, they're so consumed with the things and the options around them. And so Joshua has to say it again, choose this day, choose today, renew your vow to him, your commitment to him. Who will you serve, me and my house? We're serving the Lord. Who are you choosing? And and those are the words of Joshua. Let me just show you the words of Yeshua, Jesus, because he says the same thing. Here's how he says it in Luke chapter 9.23. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. When? Daily. Every single day and follow me. And it's like Jesus knows what we're going to face, that every day someone or something is going to battle our hearts and want us to follow that thing or that thing. And he says, no, daily pick up your cross, deny yourself, follow me. Choose today whom you will serve. Because every day, something's going to want to consume your heart. And I want to I give you a heads up. They're going to be both good things and bad things. Good things and bad things are going to want to war for your hearts. And I think we're, we're aware of what's bad. But let me, let me make you aware of the good things. Like, can I say to you, parents, I agree with you. Your children are good things. Your children are not bad things. But sometimes we make our children our God. How many times have we said, I, I just don't have time for the quiet time. I just don't have time to, to give and serve in the church because it's all about my kids right now and their, their sports activities and their birthday parties. I just don't have time. Kids are good things. They're just not God. Can I tell you, uh, companions, companionship, that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. To spend time with your friends, that's great. To, to go on dates looking for a mate, that's great. That all rhymed. That was cool. <laughs> Prioritizing your spouse. Good things. Social media, going on social media, that, that, that's not a bad thing. It's so helpful. We use it here all the time. But listen, so many times we can go through the day and we can serve these things that are good before we serve he who is God. We're so quick to prioritize the things that are good before we prioritize the one who is God. And St. Augustine, I'll say it again, he, he calls it disordered loves. Like there's a lot of good things that God has given us that we ought to love, except we put them in the wrong order. We have to love the right things first. Uh, uh, yesterday morning I was preparing this message, right? And my little daughter, Aranea, two years old, comes into the room. And I had to take a picture of her and show, show her to you guys. This is baby Aranea. And uh, do you guys n- notice the, the wardrobe malfunction going on on the left side? <laughs> right? 
It's all messed up. How, how many of you guys have ever done that? You're getting ready for the day and you're buttoning your shirt, right? And then you don't realize until you get to the bottom that it's all messed up. It's all out of line. And what happened? Well, because you got it wrong at the top. If you get it wrong at the top, everything follows suit and everything gets messed up, right? But if you get it right at the top, everything will fall into place. She got it wrong at the top. I asked her what happened. She said, mommy did it. That's for the record, okay? Yeah. So, like, so she, 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 she got it wrong at the top, and I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you at the top of each day to put God as top priority every single day. And I promise you, your life will fall into place. You will see how putting God at the top and as your priority will affect the way you parent your children. You will see it affect the way you love your spouse. You will see in the way you make decisions at work. You'll, you'll see it in the way you play on the court or on the fields if you put God at top. Watch if on the place. And if you don't, watch, watch things get messed up. I love it. Uh, a few years ago, I was, uh, we had a prayer meeting at my church on a Friday night. And uh, this guy in our group, John Fang, he, he just starts praying. And he prays like this. He goes, dear God, uh, please help me to prefer you over everything else in life. When he prayed that, man, that was such a simple prayer. But I remember thinking, what a powerful prayer for me to practice. Because what's he saying? God, help me to prefer you over everything else in life. What he is saying is, God, every single day there's going to be things that I can fall in love with. Things I can devote my heart to. Things I could dedicate my mind to. And yet, God, help me to prefer you over everything else. Like, I want to want you more. And I love that. Because when it comes to chasing success or chasing God, I want to prefer you. When it comes to wanting to be popular and accepted or wanting God, I want to prefer you. If it comes to, to indulging in pornography or indulging in my Jesus, I prefer you. When it comes to sleeping with my boyfriend or girlfriend or obeying the Lord my God, I prefer God. Help me to prefer you over everything in life. That's a good prayer. I challenge you, church, every day as you renew your vows to the Lord, pray this prayer. Help me to prefer you because there's a lot of things to love and help me to love you more. We, we are watching this uh, uh, Christian movie called Fireproof. And uh, in this movie, there's this, this couple who, uh, they were on the verge of divorce. And they had fallen into hate. Out of love and into hate for each other. And, and many reasons, but one of the reasons revealed in the movie was because of the husband's addiction to pornography. And it, it was killing the wife. Here's this man of mine giving his heart, being consumed by these other idols, these gods, these, these digital women who aren't even real. And, and here I am in the flesh, and he's, he's choosing them over me. And she's like, I'm not tolerating these rivals. I'm not tolerating these rivals. And it's, it's so cool. There's this thing going on inside this husband's heart, and he wants to, he, he wants to fight extinction. He wants to fight 
for his wife back. And, and, and so there's this one scene where he's home alone and he's at the computer and, and he's, he's there and all of a sudden this lady appears. And she's beckoning him just one click away. You can have me just one click away. And he, he gets up and he has to leave the table and you see this, this battle ensue. You see this internal battle where he's like, he wants to go there, but he doesn't want to go there. He wants to go there, but he doesn't want to. And, and, and you know what he ends up doing? He goes back to his computer. And he rips it out of the wall. And he takes that big old thing out to his lawn. He grabs his Louisville slugger and he bashes it and beats it into a thousand pieces. And, and he's smashing his idol. He's shattering his idol. He takes it and he chucks it in the trash can. And as a man, I'm watching this scene and I'm like, yeah, yeah, smash that idol. Then the next scene gets better. His wife comes home. She pulls into the driveway. She sees this smashed up computer in the trash can. She's like, what in the world just happened? And she goes into the home and she's walking through the house. She gets to the place where his mistress used to sit right there on the computer desk. And in place of the computer, what does she find? She finds a beautiful bouquet of red roses and a note attached that says, I love you more. I love you more. And as a man, I'm watching this, and I'm like, <laughs> right? Like, that's so good. That's so good. Because what's he saying? All these days, for all so many years, there's, there are these things that have been consuming my heart, that have won my heart over, and yet, no, today, I make a choice. I choose you, hon. I prefer you. I love you more. You are better. And I challenge you, church, bride of Christ, every single day, there are going to be things that want our hearts, want to consume us. Will you be willing to smash the idols? Would you be willing to put a note over even the good things and say, you know, God, I love you more. I choose you. I prefer you. You are far better than even the good things in life. I choose you. And daily, renew your vows. He's our first love. At the top of every day, put him at top. And so there will be good and there will be bad things wanting our hearts. Let me say one more thing as we close. There will be good, there will be the bad, and then there's the ugly. And, and, and not just idols want to consume our hearts, ugliness. Things that you, you don't even ask for, things like loneliness, things like anxiety. Things like fear, things like grief, things like sorrow, things like sadness consume our hearts and we can't seem to function or think about anything else. And, and I want to say this, God is jealous for your heart. I'm reminded of the story, John Mark, he, he, he tells the story of how he gets the worst phone call of his entire life. And he hears that all his friends were in a car and they got into a, a major accident. And he says, the one person who died in that car was his very best friend. And he says, all of a sudden, there's all this messiness in his heart, this ugliness, this anger at God, this frustration at God, this resentment toward God, all this confusion. And he's like, I just had to duke it out with God, and I just had to vomit my heart out. 
And he says, I just have to have this conversation with God. And as he gets in that quiet place to talk to God, he says he opens his mouth and out comes this song. A song flows out of his heart and off of his lips. And ironically, it's a song about God's jealousy. How God is jealous for me. How deep his affections are for me. And how much he loves me. And it's like at the end of that song, he realizes that the song I just wrote, I I think was actually a song written for me. That it was a conversation God's been wanting to have with me. That in the heaviness and in the messiness, there's this jealousness for my heart. And I say that because I, I don't know what you're going through. It's supposed to be a happy, joyful season. For many of us it is, and then for many of us it's not. How do I know that? The past two weeks, the past two weeks, I've had conversations that I don't desire to have. I've sat alongside a sister who just lost her brother. I met with a couple that just lost their toddler. I talked to a husband who lost his wife texted a brother yesterday who just lost his father talking to a sister who's losing hope in life talking to a mom who's losing her son and that's not an exaggeration I can't even imagine what else people are going through talk to someone who lost his job that's a true story so I know there's a lot of heaviness. And so whatever, whatever it is consuming your heart this, this moment, I want to help you to stare at the cross. And let's just end the service in a time of worship where we look at the cross. Because in the cross, what do we see? We see God doing crazy things out of his jealousy for your heart. It moves him to do crazy things. And he sent Jesus to tell us that in our heaviness, in our messiness, in our ugliness, there's this jealousness for you. And he'll do whatever it takes to, to recapture your heart and to consume it, and to occupy it with him. But let's worship him. And I want to ask, let's pray together right now. Let's bow our heads. And so, Lord, we thank you so much that you are a God who is jealous for us. And how deep your affections are for us, God. Thank you that you are madly in love with us. Lord, your jealousy draws us into you, Lord. And I pray that it would cause us to live faithfully and and purely devoted to you, Lord. And we want to confess the times that we've been unfaithful, the times we've turned away and given our love to other things above you. And God, today, we choose. We choose this day. We will serve you. We will love you. We want you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.